Eanes is proud to present the WHS Healthy Shops Speaker Series. This week, Ashley Edelstein from www.austinpsychotherapyservices.com shares how teaching your teen self-compassion beats self-esteem every time. So my name is Ashley Edelstein, and I am a local therapist just down the road, and I work with teens and adults struggling with like anxiety, perfectionism, procrastination, mood disorders, grief, that kind of thing. And um, I've seen how powerful self-compassion is in my, um, in my work and my personal life. So I just wanted to kind of talk today about how self-compassion kind of compares with self-esteem, how it kind of beats it, and then how you can kind of introduce it to your kids and make it part of your family culture and kind of just practice it every day. So I wanted to just start with some definitions, basically what is self-compassion, what are the kind of components of that, and then what is self-esteem, and then I'll kind of go from there with like the differences and the benefits and that. Basically, some of this you guys may already know, but we're just gonna kind of come in here as though you don't, just so we're all kind of on the same page. So compassion is having sympathetic concern for the suffering of others. You know, we feel for them. It's like empathy, right? You just, you kind of want to comfort them. You want to kind of make things better, right? And really feel with them. So self-compassion is basically turning that compassion on yourself. So whenever you're faced with personal failings or suffering, feeling unhappy, it's just a way of like relating to yourself kindly. Um, and just extending that same compassion that we have for others to ourselves. Treating ourselves with kindness when we suffer. There are three main components to self-compassion. So the first one is self-kindness versus self-judgment. So basically this just means, like I said, treating ourselves with kindness as opposed to harsh self-judgment when we are feeling bad about ourselves, when we feel like we failed, when we're unhappy, when you know maybe something bad happens, whatever it is. Um, if our default is to kind of beat ourselves up or be really harsh with ourselves, that can really often lead to kind of judging ourselves badly, right? Like I'm no good, I don't feel good. And um, so the, the important piece here is just meeting that suffering with kindness rather than kind of judging ourselves and even judging it as good or bad. Um, that sense of kindness can also help us just accept things, right, rather than resist. So that's kind of why it's like the most important, I think, component of this and why it's number one. So number two is the idea of common humanity versus isolation. So sometimes in that kind of default of beating ourselves up or feeling really bad, um, especially you see this with teens, there's a lot of sense of isolation there. Like, no one understands me, no one gets me, I'm all alone in my suffering, nobody will understand. And that really disconnects you, not just from the people around you and your support system, but just like a larger perspective of what it's like to be human, right? This idea that everybody's imperfect, everybody messes up, everybody leads imperfect lives, right? We're not the only ones. When you have a sense of common humanity that like, I am suffering right now and everybody suffers, it just makes it kind of easier to be kind to yourself. It makes it easier to reach out for support. It just overall um, kind of gives you a better sense of how am I gonna deal with this rather than nobody ever understands me and nobody ever is going to, right? And it's very isolating. And obviously, as we know, that can be very dangerous for teens. So we just wanna make sure that we keep ourselves connected to the greater perspective. And um, 
There's an interesting irony in when we are feeling alone that that's a very common human experience, right? Like everybody feels alone sometimes. So when you feel alone, you're actually connected to a greater part of humanity. So I think there's just like a really interesting irony there um, that we don't often think about. And then the third component, it's also really important, is mindfulness versus over-identification. So you might already have heard of mindfulness. It's, it's basically being present with what's happening as it's happening without judgment. And you kind of can't feel compassion for yourself or comfort yourself if you're ignoring your suffering and you're ignoring your pain. So the idea here is we want to be mindful of how we're feeling as it's happening without that sense of judgment. But we also don't want to really over-identify with how we're feeling because just because you're having a thought that like I'm an idiot or I suck or I feel really terrible and this feels like it's never going to end doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Like we want to be mindful of it, but we don't want to start to over-identify with it and really um, you know, necessarily believe that it's true. So mindfulness gives you the ability to kind of stay present with yourself um, and kind of have the courage to face what's going on, right, as it's happening. And um, typically with that sort of over-identifying what's going on, you can often get like really swept away by negative, you know, emotional reactivity, right? So this also kind of helps keep you grounded um, in the present with what's actually happening rather than that sort of um, bigger, like it's bigger than it is. Self-esteem. Probably already know what it is, but just so we're on the same page. So self-esteem is confidence in our worth, in our abilities. It's kind of how we understand our value in the world, like self-confidence. Um, so just a kind of a caveat that obviously self-esteem is not a bad thing, but the problem here is when there's sort of just like an unrelenting pursuit of self-esteem, this can really lead to either comparing yourself to others, right, um, and judging ourselves based on like, how are we performing in comparison to other people, right? That idea of like, how do I measure up? And the, the, the idea that being average is kind of an insult, right? Like nobody wants to say, be told that they're average. So this idea of like, how do I measure up against everybody and it's constant flux, right? You do bad and what's it gonna do to your self-esteem? So again, having, having good self-esteem is not the problem. Because it's, it's good to like, feel proud of your accomplishments. It's good to feel good and like, want to try and, and do well. Um, again, it's just that like, single-minded pursuit of that and getting our sense of self from our self-esteem that you're starting to tread in dangerous territory. And so one, one kind of thing I want to point out is that I think it was starting around somewhere in the 80s kind of this movement to like raise kids self-esteem. I kind of grew up with that, right, where it just became like really important, like we gotta get these kids self-esteem up. And it turns out that it kind of backfired, right? Because again, you're basing how you feel about yourself on your accomplishments and it's just not possible to do well all the time, right? And it's possible to do well over here and not here. And that's kind of confusing, right? Like how do I judge myself if I'm a really great athlete and I'm really amazing at something, and I just like really suck at chemistry, or I really suck at something else over here, how, how am I gonna think of myself? It's confusing. That's kind of why I wanna get into you know, what some of the differences are between self-esteem and self-compassion, and then go into kind of the benefits of that, which again, might already be kind of clear, just from talking about it. But basically the main difference is, both of these involve an attitude that we take towards ourselves, but the, the key difference is that self-compassion doesn't rely on um, how do we compare to other people, and it's not a judgment of ourselves the way that 
self-esteem is, right? It's just relating to ourselves kindly. So um, again, like self-esteem means that we're constantly looking for validation from external factors. So the, the like grades are achievements, and it's kind of contingent on three main things. So that's peer approval, perceived appearance, and success. And the, the kind of commonality there is like, we don't have control over any of those things, right? We do not have control over what our peers think of us. We don't always have control over our perceived appearance, right? Because there are just things that we can't help about the way that we look. And this is obviously very important for, for girls and body image, um, which I'm sure that you guys kind of deal with, right? That sense of like, she's prettier than me, or how do I compare to this person? Or, you know what I mean? That, that sense of comparison with our peers or not feeling accepted by our peers. And then the last one is um, success, which again, we don't really have control over that. Like we can only do our best, but we don't have control over what the outcome is. Think like, okay, if how I feel about myself is based on all of these things that I don't have control over, that's pretty dangerous. Like how am I going to feel good about myself um, and feel like I'm doing well when I don't really have control, I don't really have complete control over that. Like I could do my best and still do poorly. So. Um, the other really important piece here, especially for teens, is there's a lot of research around um, this pursuit of self-esteem and bullying, right? That idea of I, want, I need to be better than this other person and putting someone else down to feel better about myself. So, and, you know, I don't have to tell you how important it is that we don't want to encourage that and we don't want that to be a way that kids feel good about themselves. Is like, I have to be better than this other person over here and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that... Everybody knows it, right? That peer approval. And a lot of research around that. So um, we just want to kind of move away towards, again, like being kind to yourself if you're not getting those three things. If your self-esteem, you know, took some kind of dive, right? You're not getting the peer approval. You're not feeling successful. And the idea that self-esteem says it's okay because you did this well, right? Um, and again, what happens when you do something poorly? How are you going to feel about yourself? So um, there's a lot of research that has shown that having an accurate self-perception of yourself and your abilities is way more important than having high self-esteem, right? The ability to really assess, like, who am I, how am I doing, what does that look like, rather than just, like, a tunnel vision pursuit of, like, I have to feel good all the time. And the idea that, obviously, like, if we have an off day, we're going to automatically think that there's something wrong with us. And self-compassion says it's okay that you did this poorly. You know, what happened? What do you need? It's going to be okay, right? That just sense of being kind about it. And since it's not based on self-evaluation, we don't have to feel better than other people to feel good about ourselves. So again, that sort of antidote to bullying that I talked about. Let's get into some of the benefits. There is a ton of research around the benefits of self-compassion. Um, Kristen Neff over at UT is kind of the leader, kind of like the thought leader and research leader on self-compassion. So there's just like tons of resources, tons of information. And we're finding that um, self-compassion increases your motivation, your confidence, and it helps you not give up, which obviously is key to reaching your goals, just that ability to kind of not give up. And again, to accurately figure out like what is going on, what is preventing me from getting to where I need to go, what do I need to do, or, you know, do I need to kind of pivot and reassess what I'm doing, right? Um, and that in comparison to self-esteem, it's associated with greater emotional resilience, more accurate self-concepts, like I talked about, more caring relationship behavior, 
and less narcissism and reactive anger, which again, very important for some of these kids, right, to not have to feel better than other people, not be quick to anger, to actually be able to accept, um, assess how they're doing accurately. And research has shown that self-compassion makes a person more resilient, more able to bounce back, right, which again is very important. We want to cultivate resilience in kids. We want them to feel like um, a setback is just a setback and not a personal failing. So um, more research, there's just a ton of research, right? Lower self-criticism, builds up self-worth, helps you be more ambitious and successful, um, and not complacent and lazy. And I'll kind of get into the idea of um, there's like a big myth about kind of being lazy if I'm kind to myself, and I'll kind of get into that. And um, the other big thing is that there's, you know, there's a warmth and feeling connected to others, that common humanity component, right, where you just, you don't feel alone and you feel connected to your community. That's really important. And um, there's also some research that helps you actually be more compassionate towards others. So um, the idea that, like, when people increase their own well-being, they're more likely to be kind of kinder to the people around them, more caring, and more understanding, which is really important. And obviously that idea of like in compassion for other people in our own suffering, that realizing that everybody suffers, everybody messes up. I'm not the only one. And there's some great research. I don't know if you guys have heard of Brene Brown. She's like the re lead researcher on like shame and vulnerability. And she's got some really great research on that the connection between the ability to accept help and the ability to show compassion to others. So the idea that when we have self-judgment about accepting help or support from others, like I'm not good enough, I don't deserve it, nobody understands, so I, I can't ask for help, um, or maybe we see it as a sign of weakness, then we're creating a cognitive link between compassion and judgment, right? So when we're in the position to show someone else compassion, we might judge them kind of unfairly, right? Or see them as weak. Right, that idea that asking for help is not okay. So this kind of helps make it okay to feel bad and make it okay to ask for help when you feel bad. So we, we kind of want to help get rid of that, any sort of judgment, right? That mindfulness piece that we do it non-judgmentally. We don't judge ourselves. We start, kind of start to not really judge other people. Like how does it beat, you know, how does it beat self-esteem continued? So we're finding that it's a really great alternative to the kind of relentless pursuit of self-esteem because it offers the same protection against harsh self-criticism, like I'm okay, um, without the need to see ourselves as perfect or better than anyone else. And provides, so in that way, it kind of provides the same benefits as self-esteem without the really bad drawbacks that I talked about. Again, not a way of judging ourselves positively, just a way of relating to ourselves kindly. And essentially, the kind of cool thing is, is that it's, it's really there for you when self-esteem deserts you. When you fail and you feel terrible and your self-esteem takes a nosedive, self-compassion is there to say, you know what, like this is what happened, I'm so sorry, I wanna be there for you, I wanna take care of you and comfort you, and then figure out what do we, you know, what do, we do for next time. Well, because you're a human being, just worthy of love and respect, just like every single human being, right? And um, this was some really cool research that shows that people who are more self-compassionate are actually more likely to take personal responsibility and apologize when they mess up, right? So the idea here is, you know, let's say that you get really angry and you kind of lash out at somebody and maybe you're mean or whatever. Um, it allows you to kind of be mindful of what happened and be like, whoa, I was kind of out of line there. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. 
um, without that sort of sense of, I'm a terrible person, like I'm judging myself, like I did this because I suck, and I'm a terrible person, and nobody's ever gonna love me, and everybody hates me now, right? That really bad kind of line of thinking that we can get into, right? So um, because of the idea that self-compassion makes it safe to make a mistake. So it's safe to go, ooh, I kind of hurt that person, and I feel really bad about it, and I'm going to kind of comfort myself, and then I want to go make amends. I kind of want to figure out how do I make this right. Um, you can you know, acknowledge that because you're not saying I'm a terrible person, because you want to take responsibility. So that's kind of where that research tells us that, and this is obviously really good for teens to be able to kind of take responsibility for themselves if they hurt anyone without getting into that kind of shame spiral of, I'm a terrible person and it, this is never going to be okay. Um, so that I found to be super duper helpful in my work, just that accountability piece, which I will talk a little bit more about. So, um, three major myths. After this, I'll get into kind of like, how do we introduce this to our teens? How do we kind of make it part of our family? Um, but here are like the main myths that I always hear about, and I really want to talk about these because when you're introducing this to your kids, you know, you know them best, but I guarantee that like at least some of them are going to come up with some of these myths, right? So I just want to kind of speak to that and give you their, you know, kind of like the research and the information so that they're not just like dismissive, like, Ugh. no. So for sure, the number one that I always hear, and I hear this from adults too, is that, well, if I'm nice to myself, then I'm going to be lazy, right? I'm going to let myself off the hook. And it makes sense, but the idea here is that you can be nice to yourself and take accountability, kind of like what I talked about, that accurate self-concept of like, oh, I messed up here and um, I kind of need to figure out what happened, but I can do it without saying that I'm a piece of garbage, right? So you're not avoiding what happened and you're not letting yourself off the hook, right? So like you didn't study for a test and then you did really badly on it, doesn't make you an idiot, right? You can still be nice to yourself and, but kind of look at it and go like, oh, what happened there? I kind of didn't study, right? What was it that happened that made me like not want to study? Is it that I don't like care about the class? Is it that I was kind of too scared to study? I see that a lot with procrastination and that sort of flip side of the perfectionism, right? Or maybe you studied really hard and you just like didn't do well, right? So it kind of allows you to look at what happened here what's going on in a way that just beating ourselves up just kind of kicks it and ignores it, right? Um, and I find that with a lot of these kids with anxiety, procrastination, perfectionism, all those things, um, this, that sense of kindness kind of gives you the courage to examine what's going on, to even be able to sit with, you have a feeling that you suck, you're thinking that you suck, can I sit with this, again, with that not over-identifying with it, um, and be kind to myself, because it's really, really hard to kind of confront things when we're too afraid, right? That's how we get that sort of, I'm just gonna ignore it or avoid it. This kind of helps you um, be in front of it and have the courage to be in front of it, which is really hard. So I think that's a, a really good life skill to kind of teach these kids, um, and for us as well, right? Like when we're having difficult moments. So I think that is probably what you're gonna hear, right? That, you know, I don't wanna be lazy. Um, and kind of related to that is, but beating myself up motivates me, right? We all think like, but that's what like gets me going. That's what kind of gets me in a like, you know, lights a fire in my butt and like gets me on my way, right? 
Um, but there's so much research around how beating yourself up actually demotivates you, right? Kind of like what I talked about before, about self-compassion making it safe to fail. It's not safe to fail when you've got a, kind of an inner drill sergeant telling you how much you suck and, wow, you better not you know, mess up again. That's just going to be the end of the world, right? You're going to be terrified to mess up. Um, so I, the example that I always use with these kids is, you know, imagine that you have two teachers. And either way, you just did poorly on like a paper or something, right? So they're handing you your paper back. And teacher number one is like, whoa, you really blew it. This was just the worst paper I've ever read. You are going to fail this class. You're going to fail out of school. And then you're going to be homeless. And then what are you going to do, right? Can't tell you how many times we've gone through the, the like thought chain and it ends up with them being homeless, right? Like I'm going to fail, out of, fail the test, fail the class, fail school. I'm homeless. My parents are going to kick me out. And then my life is over, right? And we're like, you just did badly on one paper. Like, do you see how we're getting like really far down that sort of shame thought spiral? Like, let's, let's bring it back a little bit, right? So the idea that, um, and then, so that's kind of one teacher. And then the other teacher comes and is like, okay, listen, you didn't do very well here. Um, I'm sorry, that sucks. I know it's really hard to get, you know, a C or a D or an F or whatever. But this is kind of what happened here. Like, you probably didn't spend as much time on it as you could, or you didn't cite all your sources. You know, it's like, what, what can we do better next time? Like, how can we get maybe a B or an A next time? What do you need? And every time I talk to these kids about it, it's like, which teacher would you prefer, right? They always pick teacher number two. So it's like, so why do you have teacher number one in your head? How is that helpful? What does teacher number one make you feel and versus teacher number two? So I find that when we externalize those nasty voices in our head, it's almost comical how terrible we are to ourselves. Like, it's kind of ridiculous once you start to notice it. So um, there's a lot of research around, this is especially helpful for kids who procrastinate, because there's a lot of research around people that are kinder to themselves are more motivated, less likely to procrastinate, again, because it's safe to fail. And um, there was this really interesting study where there were two groups and probably a third control, whatever, but um, where they were all told that they failed the test. So they come in, they take a little test, and it doesn't matter what their score is, they were told that they failed. So one group was told, um, eh, you guys are already in college, you're, you're probably really smart, doesn't really matter, forget it, right? Another group was told to do a self-compassion exercise, right? Kind of similar to the one that um, is on the handout, right? And then the third, I think, just a control group of just like, okay, you failed, whatever. And so when it came time to study for the second test, the self-compassion group studied, I think, up to two times longer than the other groups. Because again, they were being kind to themselves and going like, what happened there? What can I do? And I don't like this, and this, this sucks to fail. It doesn't feel good, Blech, right? And just being aware of it. And that, um, that handout that I gave you is a really powerful exercise. There's a lot of research around um, just being nice to yourself and writing a nice letter to yourself that um, is very soothing and is something that you can kind of come back to again and again, right? This is like an endless well of kindness and compassion. Um, and, oh, and then the, the idea that um, they also have more confidence because they aren't cutting themselves down all the time. You know, if you're just constantly beating yourself up, 
you're not going to feel good even when you do, when, even when you actually do well. You know, I talk to a lot of these kids about that sort of hollow victory. Like you just like beat yourself up to just get to the finish line and then you don't even feel good when you've passed the finish line. Like you just feel gross. You just don't feel good, right? That just sense of like, if you're cutting yourself down all the time, you can't even enjoy your successes, let alone deal with your failures, right? So that's, I think, a really important, important piece here. And then the third myth is that it's self-pity, right? I hear that a lot. Well, I don't want to throw myself a pity party. You know, I don't want to, like, feel bad about myself, right? I hear that a lot. Again, teens and adults. So um, the idea here is self-compassion and self-pity are very different, right? So people often ignore their suffering because they're worried that they're going to throw themselves a pity party. And again, we can't be with ourselves if we're ignoring what's going on. And that suffering is not going to go away on its own. It's going to come back, right? So the, the other idea that we either kind of ignore it or we, kind, we do sort of wallow in self-pity, right? And we kind of forget that connection to humanity that everybody messes up and we start to, you know, over-exaggerate our feelings. We start to really feel bad. Um, and we can kind of become carried away and wrapped up in our own emotional drama. And again, we can't step back. We can't see that we're not the only ones suffering here. And um, I do want to really point out a, a very important piece here is that idea of common humanity that everybody suffers is not meant to diminish your own suffering, right? Because a lot of people hear that and they go, well, people have it worse than me, so I'm not allowed to feel bad, right? I'm not allowed to suffer because there's somebody else who's doing way worse than me, right? And that's really not the case. It's both. It's that I am suffering in this moment and also other people suffer too, right? We all suffer together, right? Um, so I think that's really, really important because if we're, if we're going like, I'm not allowed to feel bad about this, then we're once again, just in a different way, becoming very disconnected from humanity and actually disconnected from our suffering, right? Like there's starving kids in Africa, so I'm not allowed to feel bad that I failed the test, right? That doesn't, that doesn't really work. Like, we want to be realistic about it and go, yes, there are people that are doing better than me. There are people doing worse than me. And that really doesn't affect how I feel about myself. But I extend compassion to myself and everybody else. Um, and so, again, hugely important for teens to feel that sense of community and sense that everybody suffers and I'm suffering makes it easier for them to ask for help, right? Um, and not see it as, again, I'm not allowed to feel bad that I did badly on this, so I'm not allowed to ask for help or ask for comfort from my community because of that, because, you know, my friend's doing worse than me or whatever, or all these other people, um, you know, suffer more than I do. So how do we introduce this? It's probably what you came for, right? So we want to kind of start a dialogue with them if we can start a conversation. And again, the, the caveat here is like, you know your kids best, so I'm kind of going to go through some of the ways that I've introduced this and worked and kind of coached parents and kind of go through it. But obviously every family is different. Every communication style is different. But what we want to do is just kind of start with, um, you know, thinking of an area that they struggle with. Like, again, you know your kid best. Like, where do they struggle? Is it not doing well in a class? Is it really struggling with athletics? Like, maybe they lost a big game. Um, maybe they got left out of something social and they're feeling really left out and they're feeling really bad. Um, just some place where we figure like they feel like a failure, they don't feel good about it, whether they're kind of dealing with it or not. 
And we wanna use that as a jumping point to have a conversation with them, right? So we kinda of wanna ask them about something recent and then it's really simple. You just ask them, what would you say to your friend that was dealing with this? Normally what I hear is, well, you know, I would tell them that it's okay, it's not a big deal. Like let's say they just totally blew the big game, whatever. Um, you know, everyone's gonna forget about it, nobody's mad at you, all of these things, right? Like we, we don't think less of our friends for failing and we want to comfort them and make them feel better. The, the same exact things that we kind of can't do for ourselves, right? We, it's hard for us to like comfort ourselves and not think less of ourselves when we're not doing well. Um, so once you're kind of like getting into a dialogue with them, the really key piece here is asking them, you know, wow, that's the, you sound like a great friend, you know, like how is that different to how you talk to yourself? And kind of get the wheels turning that it, it's 99% of the time, it kind of is different. Like even if it's a subtle difference, right? Like not every kid is out there going, I'm such an idiot. But you know, we all have moments of like, oh God, you idiot, ugh. You know, whether it's to the extreme of usually what I see or maybe slightly more subtle again. You just want them to notice that difference and point it out to them. You know, how would you, you know, how is that different to how you talk to yourself? Isn't that interesting? You know, like, hmm, I wonder why that is. Like, do, do you have any idea? And they may not know. Um, but this is a really good step to just getting them to be mindful of how are my thoughts, like what thoughts are popping up? How are they affecting me? How are they making me feel? And putting myself in the place of kind of someone else. Like, huh, if John, you know, and of course, like if they have a best friend or they have someone that they, you know, really care about, you can kind of use them as an example. You know, like if John failed his test, you know, what would you say to them? You know, what would you want him to say to you? How is that different than what you kind of say to yourself? Hmm, interesting, right? And that idea of I would be a bad friend if I talked to other people the way that I talk to myself. So why am I a bad friend to myself? How, you know, what are the reasons that I'm not able to be a friend? And obviously, like, maybe some kids will need a little more work around this, a little more time, um, maybe even, like, professional help. But the idea here is, we just want to get the, the ideas, um, get the kind of the wheels turning in um, like things that maybe we're on autopilot, that we're just being mindful of it and we're being aware of it. So um, the big caveat here is that I get a lot of kids saying, no, I'm fine. I, I'm nice to myself. I don't, I don't need this. This is, this is useless. I, like, I'm not, you know, whatever. And then really 99, probably 100% of the time they come back and go, ooh, okay, so I started to pay attention and I'm really mean to myself. I never noticed that. So the reason I kind of bring this up is if you're talking to your kids about this and kind of how they relate to themselves, there's probably a good chance that they're gonna be like, no, I, I'm fine. Like, I, I don't beat myself up. Like, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I'm nice to myself. Because um, they're just on autopilot and maybe they really don't notice the extent of what they're saying to themselves. Kind of like what I talked about, right? That idea of externalizing that voice and really noticing it and noticing how almost comical it can be, right? That drill, it's like, why do I have a drill sergeant in my head? How can I kind of turn that into like an inner guide? Um, and, oh, and then the other thing is again, you know, your kid best, maybe the word self-compassion might sound too soft or it's not really gonna resonate with them or maybe it won't make sense for whatever reason. You can kind of, 
call it whatever you want. The idea here is as long as we are supporting ourselves and alleviating our suffering, it doesn't really matter what we call it. So I've had a lot of kids um, like the idea of inner support or inner friend, inner best friend, something like that, that idea of just like an inner compassionate figure um, inside me. And um, not, to, not to gender stereotype, but I've had a lot of like teen boys really like the idea of an inner ally versus an inner enemy. Um, that seems to really resonate with a lot of them. And again, just depends. Um, but I, I would say kind of the number one has been just an inner, inner best friend. What would you want your best friend in your head to say to you, right? And um, that's just kind of the, you know, if we're kind of diluting it into the most, into the simplest terms, I think that's the easiest way to, to, for it to make sense to them. I always recommend parents try to make it part of your family culture. Right, like how, how, are, how am I kind of relating to them? How are they relating to themselves? How are we gonna practice this, this every day? So one really great kind of you know, advice that kind of came out of a lot of this work was getting kids to kind of ask themselves every day, how can I be a friend to myself today? Right, really simple. It sounds like really simple stuff. It's actually way harder in practice. But again, we're just kind of like getting the wheels turning and going, you know, how are you gonna remind yourself to be a friend to yourself today? So a lot of kids like post-it notes or maybe a little whiteboard message or a lot of them really like the little calendar reminders or maybe some kind of app or something, right? It's really just how are they gonna remember these things? And you know, you kind of leave it up to them. It's like, how are we gonna remember that? I, I really like a visual reminder that's kind of always there, whether it's like I'm getting ready in the morning and it's on my mirror, you know? How am I gonna be a friend to myself today? Like, ah, okay, I'm gonna be a friend to myself. And it sounds kind of silly, but it really works. Like I've seen a huge difference with these kids when they can just remember to do things, right? Like they love it in theory, and it's a little more challenging in practice, right? Like it's really easy to forget stuff. And the idea here that really long-lasting change comes through daily repetitive behavior. The idea of what we call neuroplasticity that our brains are not static, they're actually plastic and they're malleable, they change. And the only way that we can change is again, daily repetitive behavior. So how am I gonna be a friend to myself today? Every time I notice that I'm being mean to myself, gently correct, right? Um, which kind of <laughs> brings me to my next point of, we don't wanna beat ourselves up for beating ourselves up. I hear that a lot, Oh, I was just like, heard myself saying what an idiot I am, and I was so mad at myself, and I was just like, why do you keep doing this? Like, what is the matter with you? And I'm like, whoa, okay, back up. Absolutely, so frustrating, right? It's, that's the point of daily repetitive, right? Like it takes, this is a well-worn path. Like if you are beating yourself up, that is not gonna be changed overnight, and that's a good thing, right? Well-worn habits, it's a good thing that it takes a while to like form them, and then it takes a lot to break them, right? Because we can use that to our benefit when it's a good habit. But of course, makes it really challenging when we're trying to break a bad habit and it's really hard. So in the same way, we wanna meet that frustration and that impulse to beat ourselves up because we're, we were beating ourselves up, just meet it with compassion, meet it with kindness and understanding and acknowledge that you feel the frustration. Like, ooh, I just, ooh, it's really frustrating, I really hate that I do this, and I really just wish I could just you know, speed ahead to kind of where I wanna be. And it's like, okay, I'm not there yet, but that's okay, and I understand, and I'll get there. 
how can I be a friend to myself today, right? Make that our little mantra. Um, and this is also helpful. And again, some kids may need more work around this when we're getting things like, you know, anxiety and persistent negative thoughts to kind of be able to say, mm, is that true? What would I say to a friend in this exact scenario? Again, getting them used to constantly asking themselves, how, what am I doing that's different than how I talk to other people, right? And again, maybe there's you know, some more work around that, negative self-perceptions, but this is a really great starting point to just get them, kind of get the ball rolling. And um, one really important piece here is when we're kind of making it part of our family culture, I always recommend that parents can model this to kids, right? We're the most powerful influence in our kids' lives, right? Because we're with them every day. They kind of pick up things from us, right? So I always ask parents, you know, is it something that you struggle with too? Do you, you know, how do you relate to yourself when you're struggling or you're not doing well or you feel bad, right? So we kind of start there and go find a way for, you know, to kind of practice this and show your kids that you're practicing it, right? We don't want to um, invite them into all of our problems, like because some things are just you know adult problems, some things are just for parents. But that idea that you know, let's say you mess up, you forget to pick them up, right? Or you just totally forget to. They ask for something from the grocery store and you forgot to get it for them, and you just feel really terrible. You feel guilty, and to kind of be able to you know say like, "Ooh, I'm sorry, I really messed up there. I'm I just totally forgot. I'm really sorry about that. Totally get that you're frustrated, and um, you know how I'll." kind of go pick it up later or whatever, or, you know, maybe I just need to set a reminder for next time, but yeah, you know, I feel bad, but it's okay, right? That sense of, hey, I messed up, but it's okay. And you're showing them that it's okay to mess up, right? So the idea here is like, show yourself compassion when you mess up and see if we can show them some compassion when you mess up, right? Again, easier said than done, right? Um, you know, if your kid fails a test or they do really badly, you know, for whatever reason, it's really understandable to either like panic or be really worried or really angry or disappointed. All these very normal, natural reactions. We're not trying to get rid of those. We're just trying to kind of take a pause and go, ouch, like I don't feel good about this. I don't like that they're struggling. It hurts. I don't really have full control over how they do, right? And I don't like this and I can kind of sit with it for a minute and be mindful of it and then look at how can I extend that to them? which again, we are not letting them off the hook. You know, if they fail the test, well, that's not really okay. Like, we can't really fail a test, but it kind of gives us that breathing room to go, ooh, that must feel really bad. You must be really disappointed. So we want this mindfulness piece to give us a breath between inside voice and outside voice, right? Those don't always match. So, um, again, we're just meeting our disappointment or our worry with kindness, both for ourselves them. Overarching theme here. Um, really important piece is the idea that self-care is self-compassion. And so I'm defining self-care sometimes gets conflated with maybe like indulgence, right? Kind of luxurious indulgence. And I really define it as just literally taking care of yourself, whether that's just drinking enough water, eating well, exercising, getting enough sleep, could include bubble baths or face masks or, you know, a piece of chocolate or whatever, right? But it's just that idea of I am caring for myself in the way that I would want someone else to care for me or I would want to care for someone else, that I am extending that to myself, right? 
um, you know, and getting kids to, to look at like, how, how do I care about myself? Do I take care of myself? Um, one big thing I see is a lot of the kind of giver kids, right? They're up late, they're not getting enough sleep because, oh, my friend had a problem and she was texting me and I just felt really bad and I wanted to help her, but then I didn't get enough sleep. But I'd be a bad friend if I didn't kind of help them or support them. You know, kind of things like that, right? You may not have experienced that, but definitely heard that a lot where it's like, hmm, okay, so you were a good friend, but you weren't a very good friend to yourself because now you're just really tired and you didn't get enough sleep and you just really feel bad, you know? Um, so kind of, again, that accurate self-concept of putting some boundaries up with people. Boundaries are self-care, right? Um, putting boundaries up doesn't make you a bad friend. We can find a balance between being a good friend and being a good friend to ourselves. How are we showing that every day? And I found one really big piece with these kids is figuring out their nighttime routine, right? Because a lot of kids are just like on their phone, they're not paying attention, they're up late, they're on the computer, they're playing video, video games till you know, God knows what time, right? And they're not being, obviously, it's very mindless, it's very autopilot, they're not being mindful of like, how am I using my time? Is this really caring for myself? So we kind of try to figure out what are the things that soothe you, that feel good, that you can do is kind of a wind down routine before bed. And again, some kids really take to this, some need a lot more work around it because they're just either addicted to their phone or their video games, they kind of need some help around that, being more mindful. Um, but the, again, the idea here is how are you using your time, right? Are you being intentional with the way that you're using the, your time and the way that you're relating to uh, you know, how you're spending your time, right? Are you just paying attention? Are you being mindful of it? So I huge difference in these kids when we can kind of firm up a really good kind of wind down bedtime routine. And again, you can kind of, you know, depending on your relationship with your kid, I don't, you know, whether they have siblings or not, you know, you can always, again, make it part of your family culture to maybe have like a wind down routine together. Kind of come up with some like, you know, screenless activity, right? All the research around like we need at least an hour of screen free time before bed, also kind of looking at like how much are we kind of using our phones at night? Do we kind of need to be intentional with our families, right? How are we making that part of our culture? What does our, you know, wind down bedtime routine look like? And what are we encouraging for our kids? So it's, it's a really cool like whole family activity, right? It's not, it, it really goes beyond just when we're failing. It really goes into like every facet of our lives of how are we treating ourselves and not getting enough sleep and not kind of taking care of ourselves is not self-compassion and is not self-care. So, you know, what am I going to do about it? So self-compassion, not going to solve all your problems, right? Not going to suddenly make you Zen Buddha master and everything's great. Um, but the idea here is that it is a really important foundational tool for the toolbox. It's almost always the number one thing that I look at when I start working with kids is how are you relating to yourself? How are you taking care of yourself? Because you really cannot have the courage to face the things that are difficult if you're not gonna be kind. It's just not gonna work. So um, I find that you know, at the root of a lot of these problems are negative self-perceptions, fears about the future, kind of worries that they don't measure up. You know, what, are, you know, what am I doing, right? And without that kindness, we're, just, we're too scared to investigate it. You've got to build up that inner resource, that inner best friend that's going to kind of hold your hand through it and be like, this might get scary, and that's okay. I'm going to be okay, but I'm going to be, you know, 
looking at it kind of with a whole perspective and looking at the fact that everybody has to face some scary things sometimes. So the idea that like if we're too scared to investigate that, we're gonna either ignore it or meet it with frustration and anger, right? Which then either of those is not gonna work because we're gonna pave over it with certain behaviors. So whether that is just being angry or not caring, shutting down, or being really, really anxious and procrastinating, those are all just like kind of really um, functional behaviors that don't match what is really happening in reality and are helpful in that sort of instant gratification but not helpful for our long-term goals, right? But again, we cannot be compassionate and we cannot kind of be kind to ourselves if we're not being mindful of what's actually going on if we're ignoring it because it's just not possible to feel compassion and ignore something at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. And the other piece that compassion is something that we all have. It's just a muscle that we have to flex. That's all. Like we all have the ability for compassion, right? Um, we just find it sometimes hard to access it sometimes when we're really struggling. That idea that it's way easier to kind of um, extend that to other people because other people's problems don't threaten us. It's not a threat, right? Someone, your friend, you know, fails their paper and you feel bad for them, you know what I mean? But it's not emotionally threatening because you're, you're not the one, you know, with a bad grade, right? So that idea that it's like, you know, maybe a place to start if you're really struggling is how are you compassionate to other people? How are you relating to other people? And then just slowly working towards turning that around on yourself, right? Because some people are just so unwilling to let go of the sort of adaptive functional behavior that's keeping them stuck, but it feels safe, Right? And being kind to yourself is, is unfamiliar. It's kind of unsafe. So again, daily repetitive behaviors, daily repetitive looking at, you know, how do I feel when I do this? How do I feel when I do that? When I beat myself up, when I'm nice to myself, is there a difference? Um, the last point that I kind of want to make here is the, the huge benefit for you guys is that self-compassion can really make you um, really collaborative problem solvers, right? Because again, um, if we're freaking out or we're upset or they're freaking out, they're not going to want to talk about stuff. They're not going to want to figure things out. They're either going to want to ignore it or hide it from you or um, just kind of be angry or defensive. All of these things are not ingredients for collaboration and problem solving. So um, again, they're, they're much better equipped to handle something when they're being realistic about it, right? So the other piece I, I forgot to mention earlier was that idea that re being realistic, way more important than being optimistic or pessimistic. Because right, being too optimistic or too pessimistic, neither of those are very helpful. It's, being, it's just being realistic about what's happening, right? And how am I gonna deal with this, right? So the idea that we want them to feel like it's okay to bring stuff to us. That it's okay if we're angry, but we're going to like be okay that we're angry, and then we're gonna go like, you know, you. You can be disappointed, you can be angry, like, listen, I'm not happy about this, this is really upsetting to me, but let's figure out what happened. You know, what do you need right now? And if it's just comfort and support, and then problem solving, you know, it's, it's gotta be both, right? We've gotta comfort, we've gotta support, and then we have to problem solve, right? What's within our control? What do we need to do? How do we thrive? How do we do better next time? What are the ingredients for that? And again, um, there may need to be a little extra work around this, because I know for a lot of us, we weren't really raised in the most compassionate way. A lot of, you know, there was like a lot of parents who were maybe, you know, harsher, like maybe we grew up with kind of 
harsh punishment, maybe a little less understanding, kind of looking at, you know, how was I raised? You know, how is that affecting how I'm raising my kids? Um, and maybe I just kind of need a little more help or a little more work or a little more kindness around, like, it's really hard to do things differently than how we were raised, right? And I'm just going to be kind to myself while I figure it out and find a balance and figure out what works for my family, um, which is going to look different than another family, right? Like, I'm not comparing myself to other families. I'm just looking at what works for my family, what feels good, how do we all kind of harmoniously problem solve together. That's always, like, the number one goal I have with families is, like, how are we going to problem solve stuff together, right? Because we're all in this together, you know? We're all responsible and none of us to blame. That idea that this is our family and we're going to kind of figure it all out together, right? Um, and since it's a process and it takes time, again, be kind to yourself while you figure it out. Don't beat yourself up if you, you know, blow up or whatever. Anything that happens, just continue to practice that and be kind to yourselves and, you know, remind them. It's okay. Just be kind and take accountability. That's all. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in the archive video recording of this session and any corresponding handouts or resources, please visit the WHS Healthy Shaps website at healthyshaps.weebly.com.